This podcast is from heptagonclub.co.uk and paulcarenza.com. The Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club. Heptagon Club with Paul Carenza. Seven guests, seven corners. On this week's show. Hidden swimming pool. Of the British Celts. One man against a beast. Steve Redgrave emails me. I forgot my best job. Investments, microphone leads, they just don't go together. And your host, Mr. Paul Carenza. Welcome, Heptagon Clubber. Welcome to this episode 26. Ah, the ultimate, the end of the line, the culmination of all of our club visits. This is it. This is the last one. We've had a blast. This probably, uh, for now, let's say, well, let's not call it farewell. Let's just call it goodbye. I never know the difference. I think they mean the same thing. But all good creative projects come to an end, and also ones like this do as well. Also, a new podcast is fermenting as well. And in fact, whisper it, but I'm recording my first guest for this new podcast tomorrow. Haven't even finished this one yet. Doesn't mean that the, the new one will arrive anytime soon, I should add. We've got a stockpile. Got to get it right. But the future is bright nonetheless. Essentially, stay subscribed to this here, Heptagon Club podcast, and then the new podcast as yet gets unnamed, although maybe named in the course of this episode, will magically ping into your podcasting tray. So uh, stay subscribed and and magic will happen. You can at least be treated to a a trial run of episode one of of the new project, the new podcast, which will feature one guest per episode, but in a more in-depth and I think in a novel way, I think in a way that no one else is currently doing or has done. That would be a bold claim, wouldn't it? Uh, I've googled around. It seems original. Anyway, that's all you can hope for nowadays. But let's enjoy this seven-sided venue one last time. Seven guests, all of whom have joined us before, but all of whom, well, we've saved the best, or at least the second best, till last. Guests like my good friend, comedian Mr Tony Vino. So Mr Vino, we've already alluded to the fact that you are a comedian, we, we gig together on the road. You do a lot more travelling than than, uh, than me, or indeed than most, I would say. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's it's. Uh, some people say, is everything okay at home, Tony? Because <laughs> you seem to leave it all yeah, the time. Right. But no, I, I love... I love travelling. It's in my, it's in my blood. I don't know. Like I'm, um, well, you like, are half Spanish. I'm half Spanish. Yeah. I'm, I'm a from. You a, wouldn't know it from the accent. But you, you are <laughs> half Spanish. You're from the no- northern Spain, isn't yeah. it? I can tell from the accent. <laughs> Just yeah, the, next to the Costa del Wigan. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I brought up in Preston, but uh, my dad's um, my dad's Spanish and uh, proper Spanish. I mean, he lives back in Malaga, and Malaga's the part of Spain in Andalusia where the kind of those Spanish tropes are from. That you know, like um, the things that you, you, you associate with typically Spanish, like flamenco dance. Oh, yeah. uh, bullfighting and my dad you know he, he, he just sees it as quintessentially manly it's like you know the idea that one man eh, one man against a beast and he's like that it's, it's actually one one beast versus a man and about ten of his friends on horseback oh, yeah, with okay. spears yes, that's true, that's true. <laughs> it's not quite as a raw manly uh, yes. activity as you would it's, have thought it's a beautiful old fashioned view of, um, of, of the gender divide with like yeah. the, well, the mum is a flamenco dancer yeah. and the man is a bullfighter <laughs> It's like it's it's flouncy dancing and it's defending against the whole animal. That's, yeah. that's, that's old school, old yeah. school. Because you know, yeah, they're, they're constantly getting gored out yes. in the south of Spain. And that's how that all uh, uh, basically kept interrupting the fancy dancing. Yeah, yeah clearly. 
More Tony later and also to come your farewell messages, your highlights of the past 25 episodes. This is episode 26. Happy New Year to you. Is it too late to say that? I suppose it depends when you're listening. Uh, we're starting the year by closing the doors, saying farewell to seven top chaps. Um, it is all chaps once again. Apologies for that. I have, uh, as before, sought lady guests and I've been shunned cruelly, uh, just like my teenage years. Um, all right, well, the two or three I had lined up uh, had to bail for work projects and good on them. But uh, these seven are the best available people that we possibly could hope to end a podcast on. Our show headliner this time is Steve Chalk. You might recall him from way back when, about 18 months ago now we featured him. I've been saving his tale of marathon running uh, for now. You might know of Steve Chalk from his time presenting on GMTV and on other telly, but he's also in the past been a speaker at uh, big events like Spring Harvest at Butlins, the uh, the big Christian festival. Uh, so before, let's hear from one of the big bods who currently leads and runs Spring Harvest. This is Chris Rogers who will take us behind the scenes at Butlins. I'm with Chris Rogers. Hello, Chris. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for being here in the Heptagon Club podcast. <laughs> One of seven guests that I've stupidly picked the number out of thin air. So you're mid-tour, aren't you? We are mid-tour, yeah. and we're surrounded by uh, essential event management flight cases. They've got flight cases, aren't they? Yeah. yeah so it feels very back backstage. It is. It's quite rock and roll, isn't it? How's touring been so far? I, yeah, it was really good last night. We had a great time. Mm. It's just really nice meeting people who are nice. Yeah. Do you know what? It's nice though, isn't Sometimes it? Sometimes yeah. you're surrounded by people that are not nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And are you, are you mid-tour now? Is there more to come? Yeah, yeah, we, we've got these last few nights and then that's done. Spring Harvest tour over. Okay, and then it's Spring Harvest, the festival. At Easter, yeah. Next year at Easter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very nice. In Butlins and indeed beyond now, isn't it? Well, we're in Harrogate. Yeah. And in my head, I do, I, you know, Harrogate, go to Harrogate, mm. but I do love Skegness. Everyone's got their... Yeah. I'm a northerner, yeah, and okay. I, as a kid, we would go to mm. Butlins in Skegness, so I like going back there, partly nostalgia, where I went as a child. I terrorised. Yes. yes, okay, it's your stomping ground. So I yeah, quite yeah. like it, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I went to Butlins Minehead as a teenager. That's sort of pretty much where I became a Christian, probably, as well, I think, so that was... Uh, that's always like sort of the special so one in I got, that sense. I know. got a VIP kind of uh, can go anywhere pass mm. for Butlin's Minehead. Right. So when we there. And what a lot of people don't realise is there's a venue there called Sunsplash. Oh yeah. That's really, you think, why is that called Sunsplash? Mm. You go in and it smells of chlorine. You think, why is it smelling of chlorine? Mm. But it's the kids' venue. Or it's the venue that they put the bands in. Mm. <coughs> and um, I got this card that I could go absolutely anywhere. So mm. quite late at night, mm. I went for a roam. And uh, while I'm there, I heard this noise that sounded like toilets flushing. Right. And I think, that's odd. So I followed it and realised hidden behind a fake wall is a whole swimming pool. What's the kind of swimming pool where it's like a... Oh, like a rapids Like a rapids Yeah, yeah. And it's all hidden backstage. Oh, wow. And they can't get rid of it because the water in it fills the tank. That if there's a fire in centre stage, that's where oh. the water comes from. Oh, right. They empty the swimming pool yeah. to put but out they, the fire. But they also can't empty the pool because right. the building is built in such a way that if you remove the pool, the building could blow away. Oh, wow. So I get that's that. That's bizarre. It's a hidden swimming pool. That's like those forgotten theme parks with the roller coasters. But it feels just like that. So rust, doesn't it? in it, mm. there's a, you know, an armband floating, mm. like some child's yeah. left their armband. And then you've got a can of Coke and a bottle of Lucozade, oh, nice. a couple of cigarette butts. Yeah. Then the rest of it is like those potted plants that you have around the swimming yeah, pool yeah, that have all yeah. fallen in. Yeah. It's just full of dust. And I imagine that the Lucozade and all that, you, you get the old logos of 
forgotten Chris Packets <laughs> from the eighties and things like that and uh, and beyond. I yeah. imagine. I I, found, I did my family tree a few years ago and found my great great uncle. I think it was died at Butlins laughing apparently at a comedy show <laughs> what a way to go there you are I don't know how that impacted on my life but there you are he went he was he was watching a show side split and there you go I'm not sure you'd want that on your what a way Tuesday. died at Butlins I know yeah I suppose it must happen it must happen probably with alarming regularity but, yeah uh, um, maybe if steps are playing that's what happens do you think yeah. is that it depends on the band you know, five the, they sometimes do a tour there must be a certain, uh, statistically, a higher risk for certain bands, Must mustn't there? Equally, I did, a, I did a cruise a few years ago for the first and last time, because I didn't really, really particularly enjoy it. But um, they've had the chapel there, and on a, I was there on a Sunday, and I thought, oh yeah, I'd like to go to the chapel yeah. on a Sunday, and a bit of, bit, of, uh, bit of church. And then there's nothing going on there, you know, there's like no service. And I said, well, why is the chapel here? And then, of course, you realise the chapel is there for the, the many funeral deaths they have at sea, basically. You know, the average age is about 90 or something like that. And I asked at the receptionist, they said, oh, no, we do have a church service, but it's in the cinema. On a, on a, you've got to go to the little cinema screen. The chapel, yeah, that's reserved for occasions. Dead bodies. You know? oh, and I imagine renewal of vows, whatever people go for. But, um, but yeah, not for church, apparently. So. There's a great photograph on the internet, if you search hard enough. In the 70s, uh, they held an event there for only Church of England clergy. Oh. And all these clergy from all over the country go to Butlins, mm. and there's photographs of them around the swimming pool, not in their swim shorts, but their liturgical wear. Nice. And even though they're at Butlins relaxing, they couldn't take off their clergy. Oh, wear. really? How weird is that? How bizarre. I'd like to imagine top half, sort of a dog collar, trunks, long johns on the bottom, whatever it might be. Mankini. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From one London reverend to another, charity guru and the dude behind Oasis, not the band, but the mega charity, here's a cracking fundraising tale from Steve Chalk. World record breaking, uh, the marathon oh, yeah. fundraising. Yeah. <laughs> what the most raised in, in a single yeah, race ever. Split second or something, yeah, That's yeah. crazy. But that was in, in about 2012, can't quite remember which year. So, I mean, I run a big organisation, yeah, or yeah. I lead a big organisation, and, and we always need money. We need much more money than we've ever got, because the vision always outstrips the resources. That seems to be the rule of life, doesn't it? Yes. And um, so, um, well, to tell you the whole story, some years back, at the beginning of the 2000s, the record for running a marathon anywhere in the world and raising money was a million pounds. And it happened to be done by a businessman in the city of London. So I decided I'd run this and beat the record, actually, only to find out that I, r- I rang up the marathon people and I said, I'm going to run this thing and I want to beat a million pounds. Only to find out, they said, oh, yeah, Steve Redgrave's planning to do that as well. Oh, really? Oh, oh, oh no, no. Yeah, it's always Redgrave, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. And they invited me to yeah. meet him with him. It was honestly right. true. <laughs> and so I turned up and um, Steve turned up. I've never met him before, so Steve Redgrave. And he brought a team with him because we had to talk about what our strategy was. And, I, I, and t- Steve brought a team with him I imagine like two boxers facing yeah. off against each other. Yeah, like, come yeah. on, we can. And um, very fortunately, the guy who used to run the marathon uh, thing, he said, I think it was because it was a Steve Redgrave, he said, Steve, you go first. And Steve Redgrave delivers this thing with his, his team, and they have a PowerPoint and everything. And I, I'm very grateful because it gives me a few minutes, they took about 10 minutes to scribble some stuff down. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I said, well, you know, well, my idea is to do this, this and that. Um, I don't know what I said. But we went away and Steve and I stayed in touch. And it got to about 
I say it was two weeks before the marathon. And Steve Redgrave emails me because we're being in touch and he says, How's it going? I say, Oh, not very well. Um, I've only got half a million, and the record was a million. It, it was about halfway there, I remember. And I'm, and I, cool, I'm going to be, you know, because I'm thinking he's yeah. probably got two million already. Yes, well, yeah, which yeah. Is, and half of it's still very good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but no, no, it's halfway to your goal, yeah. yeah. So he, he, he emailed me back and he said, a few days later, he said, I've decided to pull out and go next year. And at that point, I realised he'd not got half a million. Anyway, what I then learned about raising money is in the last little bit, you get much more money. And I, I got 1.25 million. And I broke the world record. You can do this anywhere in the world. You don't have to do it in yeah, London. Yeah. You know, you do, you do. And then Steve announced, he said, I'm going to run it next year and I'm going to beat you. Well, he'd got one year's money already and then he did those oh, more. Yeah. And he beat me and he got 1.75 million. Right. And he was on telly. He was yeah. on a BBC yeah. at the end, you know, because he's yeah. famous. They interviewed him on telly. He looked into the camera and he said, that settles this forever. And then I realised the only time in my life that somebody on television was talking to me. Wow. Not to yeah, yeah, He was yeah, only yeah, talking to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote him, I said, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it the next year, and I managed to raise 1.85 million. Right. So I beat him, got this world record from, wow. from uh, Guinness World, world yes, Records. Yes, yes. And then the pound crashed and the, right. you know, all the, the mm. banking disaster. But it recovered enough by 2012 that I had another go, mm. and I raised 2.3 million. So I'm still the world record holder. And that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I was there thinking, okay. you know, it's stolen away from you, and then you, you go, well, that for that bit of time, and it's, it's your, yours. That's, that's yeah. So, but I couldn't, I couldn't Great. do it again. Funny thing is, the uh, uh, in the last few months, the the two princes, William and Harry, yes, and Kate, yeah. heads heads together. Mm. They were given lots of places in the marathon, and their um, their director, their CEO of Heads Together, who I know. Um, not well, but you know, he, he, his name's Nick. He get, contacts me. He said the princes are doing a day for all their runners, and they'd like you to come over and talk about fundraising. Right, right. Yes, yes, of <laughs> so the first thing I said when I got there, with, oh, it was at the Olympic Bar just a few weeks ago. I said, "You'll find in fundraising terms, it really helps if you're called Prince." That's true. <laughs> And it's your first name, not yes. your surname. Yes, I can <laughs> I said, imagine. After that, yeah. nothing really matters. Yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> it used to be the two Steves and then the two Princes. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Heptagon Club. Seven guests, seven corners. The Heptagon Club with Paul Carenza. For our final episode, we've got some very kind words from you good folks. You lot have been in touch. Uh, Paul Williams, thank you for your message. So long and thanks for all the podcasts. Look forward to your next venture, so says Paul. Thank you for supporting us over on the Facebook page, Paul Williams. Very good of you. And the same to Wayne Clark as well. Wayne says, hi Paul, thanks for all the Heptagon Club podcasts. I've loved listening to your club gatherings. You are most welcome, Wayne. Thank you for all the hard work that's gone into making them. And now let's look forward to what you've got planned for us in the future. More of that as the episode continues. Bobel on Twitter has commented on her favourite guest from the entire series of podcasts, Stephen Colgan from episode 15, when he talks for eight minutes about eight minutes. That was one of my favourites as well. Love that one. So more of your messages in a bit. Also coming up, a Welsh comedian talks behind the scenes on Britain's Got Talent. We've got Getting Good at Presenting from Lee Jackson. And we've got Beatboxing. I will get 
a tutorial. Right now, back to Sermon Squire and Star Wars superfan Chris Rogers. If I wasn't in the business that I'm in, business, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> industry. Yeah. yeah, if I wasn't in the industry yeah, that is yeah. religion, yes. I would have done film and photography, and I'd probably now be in some form of prop making. Oh, great! Okay, so I'm really yes. into making stuff. Great. So I think that's what I would have done. So all I've done is take what I'm, what I enjoy, mm. and it, it, I bring it into. Uh, the talk that I'm doing mm. so last night I'm preaching about prayer mm. and I'd approached this guy in Wales who makes uh, screen accurate replicas of Excalibur the sword oh wow and I, I uh, emailed him and said would you make me a Excalibur sword for when I'm preaching about prayer and I could talk mm. about how prayer is powerful mm. and it's sharp and I was going to I likened it to when you know when you're a kid you used to get a newspaper and roll it up oh, and yeah. you used to have fights in the back garden with your mm. mates with the newspaper mm. and after about two hits it was like a, it was soggy yeah it just, yeah, yeah, wouldn't it didn't do anything long. you whipped yeah. them rather yeah. than hit them yeah. so I was talking about you know often your prayer life can feel like it's this bent worthless piece of newspaper but mm. actually God sees your prayer life as being more like this mm. powerful sword so I said to him could you make me this replica and he wrote back to me and said uh, love to £650 Oh, yeah. Okay. So I yeah, went back yeah. going, yeah, it's not quite my budget. Yeah. Could you make one of another metal for about 60? <laughs> right. So I have now got oh, this really? replica oh, sort nice. of made yeah, of okay. steel, yes. uh, which is very heavy. So I brought it on the tube with me yesterday. Right. I did get asked what was in the box. And you said... And I, well, I didn't realise it was illegal to carry uh, weapons. Yeah, it is technically a weapon, isn't it? Yeah. Even though it's a prop. It's I told a... him it was blunt. Right. And I, I, the way I got around it was I told him it was a movie replica. Okay. And it kind of got away with it. Yes. But I, you know, it's that, I bring that kind of stuff into yeah. speaking partly because mm. it, it makes things visually interesting. Mm. Mm. And you know, you know doing stand-up, the reality is to keep people's attention for a long space of time, you've got to do things different. Yeah. You can't just stand up and do what mm. has always been done. You've got to think about the new way of communicating. Yes. Yeah. And I think when I grew up, so um, I, my, my first experience of being in front of people was doing a stand-up show with a mate of mine mm. called Scott. And uh, we did this thing where we'd do this stand-up show and we'd sing things as if we were in a, a pub. You know, Vic and Bob used to do Oh, yeah, pubs, yeah. We used to do that kind of thing on the stage. Oh, great. With yeah, donkey yeah. jackets. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, that was my first experience of standing up in front of people. Brilliant. So about, you come in via stand-up? Well, the thing about a, thing about a joke, mm. if it's a short joke, if it, unless you tease it out, mm. then it's done in 30 seconds. Mm. And sometimes you've got to work out, how do I tease this out in such a way that the punchline is like a real club, it's a left hook, rather than just, there it's come and gone. So the same is in a sermon. How do you, how do you pace something in such a way that you have a left hook at the end? Right. So uh, doing that, as a 16-year-old, 16, 16 did help me then think about how do you do this as a preacher. So if we're talking about communicating to people, we need a public speaking expert. So this is the guy who does this. He trains the speakers. He speaks with trainers on. His book is Get Good at Presenting. It's Lee Jackson. Some people approach a 10-minute talk, but they spend eight minutes getting to the point. Whereas <laughs> if they were spending the whole day speaking, you can allow yourself that bit of time. Is it sort of, would you say, is it, you know, I often look at these things and think, oh, yeah, how long have I got? And we, but then sometimes, I suppose, actually, if you've got an hour to get a point across, but you can get it across in 10 minutes, maybe you should just cut to it. I don't know. Yeah, I, th I think the hardest, I think the hardest talk you ever do is a shorter one, without a doubt. Because it's easy, you know, if you wanted me to do, you know, like on Thursday I'm this week I'm doing a presentation skills training day. 
So I've got like six hours to share all everything that I've learned, you know, from my books and everything. And I'm going to share all that information. But sometimes I have to do that in 15 minutes. Right, and, yeah. And the yeah. 15 minute version takes a lot more preparation than the six hour version. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, how do you distill it or where do you start? Well, where do you stop, I suppose? Yeah. Yeah, and what do you yeah. leave out? Because I think your job as a speaker and, and also as a comedian, really, it's, it's, it's not necessarily what you say, it's what you leave out, what you don't say. Uh, because yeah. the, the audience never knows what you don't tell them. So, yes. I mean, how many times have you walked off stage going, oh, I forgot my best joke, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, and it's normally because I was faffing around too much at the start and thinking, oh, yeah, I'll have a bit of, t- bit of fun here. We'll just go around the houses and not get anywhere. And before you go, you've, you've not got to the houses. That's the problem. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it's good to get to the houses pretty early, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Be yeah. an estate agent. Get to the house straight away. Show off the best features. Yeah. Definitely, That's yes. It. Put all the lights on, open the doors, put some chocolate cake in and do it <laughs> that way. Good. Yeah, bake some bread. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, so, uh, tell us about your book. Then you mentioned about your books and bits and pieces you've done there. What uh, What have you done? Where can we get it? What's it called? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, I've done loads of books now, but the, the latest one is called "Get Good at Presenting." Um, that's "Get Good at Presenting." You can get it on Amazon, eBooks, Kindle, yeah. everything. So you can find that. But my website is leejackson.biz. That's leejackson.biz. You can get all my books and stuff from there. But I've just tried to, you know, ten years as a pro, twenty five years speaking up front. I've just put everything I can into one book and um, just to try to make that accessible to everybody because there's so much kind of uh, rubbish out there taught about presenting, you know, and, you know, fake it till you make it, try and pretend that you're all right. And, you know, you basically, you know, you've, it's about being yourself and finding the best way to be authentic, you know. Yes. And I think that's why yeah. I love comedy. That's, you know, why I've listen, like listened to you and uh, other mutual friends that we've got in comedy because... In a, in a comedy club, like you can't be anything but yourself, because if they think you're, you know, unless you're playing a character, if they think you're faking it in any way, they'll just heckle you and destroy you. You know. Thank you, Lee Jackson. Thanks to you as well for your very kind messages with regard to this podcast departure. Dave from Essex says, thanks, Paul Carenza, for this great podcast. I've listened to them all from the beginning, been thoroughly entertained. Favourites? Well, I especially enjoyed episode two of the Heptagon Club back in October 2016. Really good selection of guests, but particularly enjoying hearing from Sally Phillips and getting a little insight into her life outside of her TV career. And Milton Jones is always a favourite as well. Indeed, episode two was a doozy, but uh, throughout it's been marvellous to bring them to you. Uh, Dave says, we'll be looking forward to hearing what you develop next. News very soon. Sam Gould. Ah, shucks, was going to revamp the logo this weekend. Indeed, Sam was the guy who designed our logo. Thank you, Sam. You absolute superstar. I'm hoping he was joking about the logo, but uh, he says, a shout out for me and the family will be grand. Well, this is your shout out, Sam. We thank you so much for your time and your service to the Hepnagon club logo department giant thanks to you it's been there since the start love your work and your generosity wish you well bless you sam and fam right enough speaking let's beatbox we previously spoken to gav tight whose online beatboxing academy buzzkit is at buzzkit.com and it's there for you to discover and gav is going to teach me right now how to beatbox so how would you begin so you're teaching people uh, who are you teaching people then who know a bit or is it from I was going to say from from scratch that's probably well, it's literally from scratch right starts right at the beginning and it's a phonetic approach so it's rather than just saying this is how you make a sound it's going okay you know, these are the parts of the mouth anatomy you're going to use and then 
learn a bit about that part of anatomy and then we're going to make a sound with it and then we're going to make another sound and then we're going to combine those into beat patterns but there's also stuff for really advanced beatboxes in there because we're actually mapping and describing some of the most advanced sounds and patterns uh, that people do wow but i mean i'm i'm, I'm beatboxing all the time and uh my, my kids now are used to it but when they're a bit younger it was a, a little bit odd i'd be in the in the in the queue at Tesco or uh, some other supermarket chain that we can't mention, and, uh, and and I'd be just I'd be I'd be sitting there waiting. I'd be like, exterminate, and they'd be like, Dad, what are you doing? And oh yeah, sorry, because I do it. I do it all the time. I'm in the car beatboxing, you know, on the loo beatboxing, everywhere. I beatbox and. And I don't know I'm doing it. Yeah, it's, it's like a, background hold music on, uh, you know, your chord is important to us. While you're waiting in the queue in Tesco, let's enjoy some of this. But yeah. the thing with beatboxing, it's great for all ages. I mean, I can, what I've done, I've beatboxed with preschool children. Uh, I've beatboxed uh, I've beatboxed for uh, a diocesan uh, readers' <laughs> conference. And I think the average age was about 80. And uh, wow. it was just fantastic because you can beat, people love it. People love vocal percussion. It's such a fun thing. And um, and the other thing is anybody can learn to do it as well. You, and you don't need any kit. You just need your mouth. I want to try some now. I don't know where to begin or, you know, just uh, pick some sounds in the mouth kind of thing, is it? Well, OK. So uh, if you say the word bag. OK, bag. Yeah, bag. B. B. Right, that's going to become our kick drum. Okay. But as you notice, the, the, if you just do a b sound like that, yeah. it's not very loud. And so what we need to do is what's called forcing the sound. And that's where you, where you do that same b, but you 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 let the pressure build up and you let and you squeeze the air out so the butt become goes from like that almost like you're spitting uh, out tea leaves i was just saying like spitting it out yeah okay so, so, that, yeah. so kind of and you can hear the of kind of like buzziness to it rather than it just yeah yeah and so yes, that's, yeah. that's your kick drum and then okay. we'll do a snare drum and the, now the, one of the easiest snare drums to make is just is just to sing a k sound like for cabbage yeah but just do the okay. k like that Right, okay. Well, I'm just going now rather than vocalizing it and go cur, just do the mm. that. right. And again, you can force it by squeezing the air out so the becomes okay, right. That's it. Okay, so now you can do your and your okay, right. <clears throat> Let's give this a go. Bag of cabbage, right? Okay. That sort of thing. That sounds really good. That sounds, sounds okay, better than me, Gareth. Right, right. <laughs> so, and, and now, and then you need to a hi hat, which is just making a T sound, uh, but okay. rather than going T or T, you're just going to go T. t like that. Okay. And you put the threes together, and you go. Okay, so it's put to K, is it? So it's. Okay. Add another T, so it becomes. Ah, right. Okay, I see. We're building up now. Okay. Something like that. Right, now you do it, and I'll do do a little bit. Try and keep it in time, and I'll do a little bit of stuff over the top. Okay. I will have a jam. Come on, let's jam it. A pod jam. Here we go. All right, then. Heptagon pod jam. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, give him a round of applause. There you go. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> you can even do the applause for us. That's fantastic. Um, I kind of want you now to just do um, voices of seven other guests, six other guests, and then we've got the entire episode wrapped up pretty much. We don't need to actually... You could pretend to be. Who do you want me to be? Yeah. This would be a lot easier to record than the usual episodes of finding seven people. Do you have the tweenies on? Tweenies, yeah. I'm saying, Nilo. Oh, come on. We're going to be on Paul's podcast. Okay. Uh, 
What should we say? That's pretty uncanny. <laughs> you weren't the voices uncanny. of those as well, were you, when you were doing the Lego minifigures? Look, I'm not Lego. saying. Wow, brilliant. Well, it's, it's, I'm in awe, so thank you. Um, what's the, the details? Tell us again the, the, the uh, Buzzkit. Yeah, it's, so you can find it at buzzkit.com. That's B-Z-Z-K-T-T.com. Uh, you can join us on, fa- uh, on Facebook as well. Uh, we've got a Facebook page, Facebook group on there. Uh, it's a great way of learning the sounds. There's some free lesson on there and some free sounds. And then uh, if you want to go a bit further, you do have to buy a little pass, which keeps me in baked beans. Uh, and I like Excellent. baked beans, and which is a good thing. Uh, so uh, so if, you fancy, if you fancy signing up, you can sign up on there too. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, anyone with, with even the slightest of, of interest, I think, in the beatboxing oeuvre, I think should definitely uh, seek out buzz cut biscuit and all these different other things. And um, so BZZK... TT, and we will keep you in baked beans and indeed in bags of cabbage as well. So, um, uh, th- thank you, Gav, for joining us, and uh, Godspeed and um, beat well. Cheers. Now, much as I feel like wrapping some of your messages now, I won't. I've, uh, I've dropped some beats. I'm just going to leave them there, leave those beats over there. I know it's littering. I know. Keep Britain bang tidy and all that. So, uh, time for a comedian now, Noel James, the Welsh Wonder. Well, you've got a Cornish surname, which always fascinates me, being Welsh myself. Of course. And, of course, knowing the history of the British Celts, the Cornish and the Welsh uh, have that ancient symbiotic connection. Well, t- I look, we look up to you guys, because you've got the kind of the language thing and the assembly. You're basically living the life we could have had if we were yeah. more organised yeah. and there more of us. Yeah, we're living the dream. You're living... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And there was a programme on BBC4 a few weeks ago, I believe it's still on iPlayer, it was called um, something like The Truth of History, King Arthur, right? Oh, yeah. I was dubious about the programme because it went into certain sources saying he was based in, in um, Tintago. Oh, yeah, they in, talk about that, don't they? But yeah, the I North Cornwall coast. believe, and I've read a few books about it, yeah. you know, the, the Arthur obviously is a romantic figure in many versions, but he must... If he did exist, he's probably several different figures, and it's a composite. Oh, really? I okay. Reckon, yeah. So they took an A from Alan, and then an R from Roger, and spelled Arthur or something? Possibly. You know, anyway. So Noel was on Britain's Got Talent. We've spoken to him on a previous episode about his experiences on that show. Let's delve a little further into what it's like bringing stand-up comedy to Simon Cowell and his buzzers and the BGT behemoth. Now, in this, he alludes to the frog joke. Noel's legendary frog joke i think it's best if you just imagine what the frog joke might be what was stressful was that even on the day even though they'd seen my script and passed it even on the day they Mm. were saying especially for some reason that joke i do with the frog tongue coming out right which i think you know it's not it's it's a kid's joke you know Mm. it's a nice bit of variety they said oh that's the thing we that's the one thing we don't want you to do and i was getting really stressed out Mm. because i thought it was going to be a nice addition and i did it it was a good experience overall because what was nice was even though you never get to meet the directors and they're in their room yeah. somewhere messages and they're being anonymous, passed to you. Yeah. yeah messages yeah. being passed through the floor manager yeah. but before I went on the floor manager took his his headphone off and he made sure I didn't have a microphone on and he came up to him and he was really nice and he said listen I just want you to enjoy yourself I want you to do the frog joke if you want to do it Great. and then I said okay well am I allowed to just grab the mic stand and go to the front of the stage and walk around because I'd done a sort of um, a sort of walkthrough rehearsal where mm. you know they cut to you and you're just standing there static but I decided uh, at the last minute more or less to just go on stage and just play the 
live, and it was at the Apollo as well, which was nice. Oh yes, of course. So I can yeah. say technically, I've yeah, of course. Been at the Apollo. Yeah, yeah, you have been live yeah. at the Apollo, even though yeah, the yeah, official yeah, buggers haven't yes. booked me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so yes. I did it. Yes. And yeah. what was really nice about that? It's on YouTube now. Mm. I didn't get any money for it, but they did. Even though it was like they, 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 the camera, the little run through I had must have paid off because they, they cut very well and time it nicely right. to each little joke and each little shot of my face yes. and each shot where the background is in the where everything I refer to in the joke is in the screen with me and stuff yes. like that. Handy. Yeah. Oh, so good. it was quite good. So it's a mega episode this week, lengthwise, bumper edition, because everything must go. All of our last bits of conversation from this seven-sided chat bunker. So right now at the party, it's your bring a bottle moment, our traditional segment where we ask you to bring something to the party. Well, this podcast is nearly over, but a new one has just begun, or hasn't yet, but will. So your bring a bottle request, what I ask of you, just keep an eye out for it already, might be called, here we go, Three Ghosts. Hmm, unusual. Might be. But whatever it'll be called, it will land here, effectively as an episode 27. But the start of a new thing, all being well. Might take a year, or hopefully a bit less, but be patient. Meantime, please do keep an eye out for other stuff I'm up to, including for 2019 Leicester Comedy Festival in February. If you're in the East Midlands or know folks who are, my new show, PK Max debuts there February 7th. If you Google Paul Carenza Leicester Comedy Festival for tickets, it's at the Laughter Loft. And a bigger venue... I'm doing the Royal Albert Hall this spring. Hmm. Not stand-up as such. It's a kid's play that I've written. I'm narrating it. It's for prom praise, so probably not open to all, but I can't wait. Albert Hall. That'll be fun. More Radio 2 Breakfast Show Pools for Thoughts. I've had the pleasure to guest on Zoe Ball's first ever Radio 2 Breakfast Show this very week with her first Pools for Thought. And indeed, the week before I brought Sarah Cox's last ever Pools for Thought before she headed over to drive time. So more of those, more of other radio possible, uh, BBC Sussex and BBC Surrey, BBC Radio 4. Uh, keep in touch with me on Twitter and on facebook.com slash paul.carenza. That's my uh, page there for more info on those radio bits as they come. Oh, and did you catch my Christmas meditation? on Radio 4 over Christmas. It was on Boxing Day, very uh, late night Christmas day night. If you didn't catch it, you've got just under a week, I believe, from when this podcast lands before it vanishes forever. So do check out BBC Sounds, search for Christmas Meditation. It's uh, it's honestly one of the favourite things I've ever done. So 40 minutes of Christmas history in verse form. That went out uh, over Christmas, but it's still there just about now. What an honour. Uh, loved, loved, loved doing that. Elsewhere in the year, new children's book at the end of 2019. That'd be the third in the series after Noah's Car Park Ark and Moses and the Exodus Express. And I've just started writing a column for Surrey Life magazine. You could look out for that if you're local. Um, Guildford Fringe, speaking of local things to me, uh, Guildford Fringe in July, planning a book-themed comedy night and a new theatre, new playwriting initiative to help new writers and local actors and generally new ideas come to fruition in an exciting anthology scenario. A bit like Inside Number 9, uh, but on stage. So we'll see. That's in Guildford in July. Can't wait for that. Uh, more telly, maybe. I'm pitching, pitching, pitching. Uh, but while that goes on, you need to make your own stuff too. And that's what this podcast has been all about. It's been a delight to bring it to you for the last few years. Uh, But wait, we need one seventh guest to make it seven. So Simon Jenkins, editor of Ship of Fools website and collator of Things That Go Wrong in Church. He's got this book out, Jumble Sales of the Apocalypse. Uh, It's uh, quite noisy in this corner of the club, uh, but you're a forgiving bunch of listeners for two minutes at least. So here's Simon Jenkins. Do you have any favourite specific 
instances of when either the church gets it wrong or these you see a lot of American souvenirs to do with yeah. church that seem wholly inappropriate this sort of thing yeah, yeah. is there anything that leaps to mind for you from your uh, many years I still this? love I mean we you know we used to get people to send us in stories of things that went wrong in church I mean really in the end you know, despite all the we've done a lot of quite theological things yeah. but some of the funniest moments are just things that went wrong on a Sunday morning and there was a priest who was struggling to locate his microphone lead under his vestments yeah. you know I mean it's a it's a kind of classic situation. Investments, microphone leads, they just don't go together. No, it's, so he yeah. couldn't find this. And of course, it looks terrible rummaging around in the investments yeah. while you're standing on the chance to stay. It doesn't look great. It's not ideal. Not a good moment. It's not you know? brilliant. Anyway, some guy saw this happening, so he rushed forward to assist yeah. and ended up kneeling behind the vicar and sort of fishing around and everything. Oh. And the vicar just said, don't worry, he's just turning me on. Oh, and no. you know, it's a kind of one of those... <laughs> Great moments, yeah. Sex, yeah. comedy, yes, of church, investments, yeah. and, and I guess that mix of, of ancient robes versus modern technology. Yeah. Ancient and modern often don't mix yeah. well. It doesn't work. No, it really no, doesn't no. work. Yeah. yeah. So it's that kind of that yeah. kind of thing has always been um, has always been a lovely thing. And what's your book you've currently got? Let's give that a good mention. So uh, yeah, I've got a book out called um, Jumble Sales of the Apocalypse. Excellent. Uh, the idea being that you know the church has always talked about the big things like creeds yeah. and councils and bishops and important doctrines and all that. But actually, at the other end of the scale, the church has been rather good at doing jumble sales, you know, and this <laughs> yeah. has always been a kind of brilliant a brilliant aspect yeah. of church. It's very good at doing kind of terrible objects for yeah. sale on in church. Yeah. So, um, so <laughs> I'm wanting to talk about the kind of very ordinary, mundane mm. aspect of church life as well as the important things and see what comedy there is in the, in the whole lot. So the book has done things like you know, will Jesus get me a parking space? Is this a bona fide perk of being a Christian? There, you know, those kind of big theological yeah. questions like that. Uh, and then down to like, someone started typing in tongues one day on Facebook. And I thought that was really terrific. You know, obviously the gift of tongues is something, but typing in yes. tongues yes. seems a bit more intentional and not quite overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. So what was happening there? So yeah. I had quite a lot of fun with looking at that kind of yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of jumble sales. I'm less of a fan of the apocalypse. Although maybe that depends on your view of it, I suppose. Oh maybe yeah, you know, well it's not it's the end of the world. <laughs> Simon's book is out now. It's added to our Amazon guests list, which will continue. That goes nowhere, so do click on the link in this episode description uh, for books by any of our guests who've got books out. Uh, some are novels, some are comedy books, some like this one uh, from Chris Rogers deal with holy matters, or in this case, bringing the holy to the human and vice versa. Chris Rogers. What's your book called? Now, I, I, could, I could tell you, so your book is called What If We Knew or Know? We Knew what God knows about us. Come on, there we go. Is that right? Yeah. There you go. The book came out of this revelation that most of us don't know who we are. So the decisions we make mm. come out of this position of not really knowing who our, what our identity is. Mm. And because we've, we've all had things said over us at school, you know, when I was at school, I was told by one person, you're not very good at football, are you? That defined me and sport I've never done football since I just I don't play because I'm that person it might be when you're at school somebody said you can't draw very well can you it plants his seed that then tells you something about yourself and it may not be Mm. true and the same happens over all layers of our identity people have spoken words over us that have almost cursed us but God knows this heaven's perspective on us so in the book we explore what is actually some really interesting psychology and some really interesting counselling, but say, what, what is it that God knows about you and I? And if we knew what he knew, how might it change the decisions you make about your life? 
so we look at some of these deep insecurity issues uh, that's held really low down in our identities and actually say what, what would happen if we were able to straighten out some of these things. It's big stuff. A little motto I've always got going in my head lately, a bit of a mantra thing, was just imagine what you could achieve if you really believed in yourself, you know, because yeah. I see people who do believe in themselves and they sit down, they get to work and they can churn out mm. a book, a film script, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, whereas I find, you know, for me it's like whether it's your doubts or indeed putting my emphasis in the wrong mm. place, thinking I'm really good at doing things last minute, therefore I don't give it my all and do it last minute. But you know? that's, you know, what you just said is great, but it's only positive thinking. And there's, we can get so far with positive thinking, mm. thinking well of ourselves, we can get so far. But actually, we can go even further when we know what God knows about us. Because even positive thinking will only get you so far. And I keep meeting people. So I've, I've got a friend who's been through a really messy relationship that actually you would say, and I would say, is abusive. That relationship ended as she realised she was worth more than that relationship. But because she's never really resolved those deep down rooted issues, she's walked straight back into another abusive relationship. Right. So she's got this cyclical thing going on in her life where she can't break out of it until she changes how she sees herself. So what we're doing in the book is exploring identity. And I have this thing called imposter syndrome where very often, you know, people look at you on the outside and think, oh, they've got it all together. But I, I have this thing called imposter syndrome where I will sit genuinely in the room. I will always place myself facing the door just in case it all goes wrong. And the person right. that I'm with yeah. might suddenly realise that I don't know what I'm talking about so I can get out of the room as fast as I can. Okay. And when I realised I was doing this and realised that in meetings, very often two things would happen. Either I'd sit quiet or I'd talk so much that in, in hope that they might not notice I don't know what <laughs> right, I'm talking yeah. about. When I realised this was going on, I realised that, that wasn't what God wanted for me. Mm. So before I wrote the book, God was doing work in me. And what's really fun is people buy it, they read it, and then come back and say, can I buy seven copies because I want to give one to my mates? Right. I've yeah. never had that before. Yeah. I often have looked at things, maybe wrongly, in the past, is to change my perspective and think of zoom out, zoom in and yeah. zoom out, zoom out to see God's big plan. Mm. But I suppose actually almost you're thinking, rather than zoom out, we're almost zooming in so much to the, what God could know in our, yeah. the bit, the, the, so deep that we can't see it ourselves, yeah. rather than seeing that wider yeah. picture he says expl- well very, the Psalms talk about uh, God knows the depths of our beings mm. and that, that idea that we don't know the depths of our beings but he does so if, if our identity is made up of not just our name somewhere at the top the things that we enjoy and the food that we enjoy the things that we find funny or don't find funny yes all that makes our identity but below that you've then got the cultural pieces about your identity your, your family identity down there then there are rules underneath all of that about how you think you might behave as a member of your family but right below all of that you've got some core identity and it's that stuff that we actually often don't know how broken it is and it's out of the broken identity that we make all the wrong decisions and in the book, we want to explore the lowest, not the lowest identity, but the deepest identity of our beings. And then if we can rectify that, then all these other layers might make more sense as well. 
So we're nearly done. Uh, one last word, I think, from one of my favourite people in the world, the travelling showman himself, Mr. Tony Vino. Tell us this before we go, then, Mr. Vino. You're a well-travelled comedian. Yes. How well-travelled has this been well, this lately? Year, you've you've, this you've travelled the hemispheres. I've, I've, I've all been three six, hemispheres. Six times to Australia this year. Fiji as well. Fiji's great, right? Right. The in the, the friendliest place. The, the people that are utterly friendly, right? You know, Fijians. The men are huge and amazing, but, but, but got like often they wear a lovely little flower in the hair as well. Nice. So it's a lovely nice. kind of like uh, lovely mixture. Flamenco and, and bullfighting. Flamenco. <laughs> it's my, yeah. it's, and that's it. There's a, there's a sort of uh, there's a deep connection there with them. And then um, and it's uh, they go bulla to say hello, right? Bulla. Okay. No, I went bulla, and then he I got off the ship. I went bulla, and then he went bulla bulla, and I was like, oh right, oh. so you meant to double the bulla. And then I level. went I went bulla 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 bulla. <laughs> <laughs> And then, uh, and it turned out that Bulla Bulla means stupid tourist. Uh, right, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so b- been there, uh, Australian um, has been um, uh, amazing this year. So I've been going to, back and forth to Sydney. Uh, they love history. Right? Was, uh, when I landed in Sydney for the first time this year, taxi driver was dead funny he was like he goes he showed me around the city he did on a little tour and he goes mate i'm going to show you around the city yeah he takes me to the docks area mm. and he goes this part of the city is called the rocks this is the most ancient part of the city some of these buildings are over 200 years old wow. right? <laughs> I was like, wow. mate, my shed is 200 years old <laughs> right? yeah. you've got barbecues you don't need to worry <laughs> um so yeah so the the, the 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 cruise ship have been just great and you know these holidays where you can eat as much as you want, but it. it's at sea. It's like a sensatory oh, yeah, yeah. hotel. It, yeah, it, it, and the Brits love it. They just go for it. They sort of they, they manage to kind of get by on their seven square meals a day. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> it's really, yeah. yeah. So it is. It's got that. There's something about the British psyche that we, if we know we can have as much as we want, we we try and think. Well, I want to bankrupt this company. Yeah, we're going to push the limits on that. I'm really good, yeah. but like. You know, like I, I don't know how Weatherspoons is still um, surviving because they go one pound twenty-five. You can have as much coffee as you want. Yeah. And I, you know, I've been known to stay in for three days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, hallucinating. You know, gro- growing up, right? When I was a teenager and then a twenty-something in Guildford, uh, Pizza Hut, the all-you-can-eat buffet. Ah, oh, yes. Back in the back in the glory days when they had Parmesan cheese on the table, they trusted you with <laughs> instead of just that flaky peppery stuff. Yeah. And the chili nonsense. And me and my mates, we would go there. When we were live teenagers, we, we, we had the metabolism to work this off. But, yeah. you know, the 20s come and go, and you get to your late 20s. And we would go in there, and we would just, you do that thing if you get the spare plate just for the crusts. Oh, you know, I just love to, it. Just oh, nice it idea. So you it's know. like a trophy. It's like, you know, like yeah. you've had um, grilled prawns, and yeah. you've just got like a pile of eggs. Exactly. And it's partly so you don't waste your time on the breaded well, edge. Li- yeah. But it's also so you can actually have a little little a tally chart and go, oh, yeah, we've had, we've had 30 <laughs> between us, you know. <laughs> And we did that. We were going in there going, you know, right, we are going to get our money's worth. We are going to bankrupt these companies. Send them to, we're going to send them packing. And then, of course, they closed down because oh my goodness. the branch just closed because clearly they thought, well, we're losing too much money here. We're literally just getting so hungry we, teenagers. We won, you know, <laughs> victory. But, of course, then we're mourning it going, what? They closed it and made what? it virgin money. What? No, we're not there. So we haven't had a Pizza Hut in Guildford now for about 20 years. And I think we were part of that. Really. You basically, you drove them, them into the ground. That is I remember that pizza, and, and you'd have to stack because it was only small plates, wasn't it? So you had to stack yeah. the slices. And yeah. I remember having like a, you know, 
uh, a wheat coma. Yeah, <laughs> you, could, you and, couldn't do anything good in the afternoon. Round, round one, you optimistically have a bit of salad <laughs> and maybe some pasta. Yeah. And then, you know, three plates later, it's just like, just give me the pizza. Just, just pile it in. <laughs> pile it in. Yeah. Sorry, Pizza Hut. We, uh, yeah. we, we do love you. And that's us done. That's seven guests. They have spoken. All that remains is me thanking you for joining us for 26 episodes. Seven guests per episode. That's um, uh, seven times 26. Well, actually, no, we repeated a few. So, we've many guests from Miranda Hart to Liz Earl, Jimmy Cricket to Milton Jones to Nick Wilson, the producer of the Wide Awake Club, to my kids, to reverends like Richard Coles and Kate Botley, many more. But you are the main part of this, you folks who've listened. So, thank you. If you've downloaded and streamed and subscribed, do stay subscribed. You will get episode one of the new podcast, hopefully landing here later in 2019. But who can say? Might not be 2019. Might be sooner. Who knows? Might be tomorrow. It won't be. But I am recording the first interview for the new secret series tomorrow. So uh, that implies it will happen sometime, hopefully soon. We'll see. I've got a mailing list if you want to uh, get some monthly updates of what I'm up to and uh, when this podcast uh, might land, the new one, and just other stuff generally. Uh, you can find the mailing list link at the top of my Twitter feed, twitter.com slash paulcarenza. Thank you to Rob Halligan for the theme music, as ever. Has made the world a better place. It has served us well. You look positively beautiful in your blue jeans. And just thank you. The doors of the Heptagon Club are now closed. Bye-bye.